1: Hey, this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for Tuesdays with Trey. Our guest today is a highly credentialed law professor at Cal Berkeley. He's on TV from time to time. He's a prolific writer of both uh, op-eds that um, I probably can understand most of his op-eds, but he also writes journal articles and legal articles that, uh, quite candidly, I probably cannot understand because he thinks on a different level than I do. But, and this is important to me, uh, he also worked at the Department of Justice If memory serves me, it was in the Office of Legal Counsel, which is where they put smart people to do research and answer the tough questions that line federal prosecutors like myself uh, were not able to answer. So I think I've got that about right. Uh, Professor John, do I have that uh, remotely correct or biography?
2: Well, you do. And whenever I hear such a nice introduction from a trial lawyer, I know something bad's about to happen to me. (laughs) Not today, my friend. Not today. That sounds like the beginning of cross examination to me. <laughs> not today. <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Let me ask. Let me start with the big news. Have you had a chance to read the redacted affidavit? And if so, what would you make of it?
2: Oh, sure. It took me two minutes to read because it was all redacted. <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, it, it, the only things that it had that were not redacted were things already in the public record, like what laws were uh, being invoked for the search, what the, for, you know, the terms of the search, but everything else was utterly redacted. The, the redactions show us nothing.
1: Well, that I'm glad to hear you say that, because that was my reaction, too. There's an old country song by a singer named Deanna Carter, or she was famous for a song called strawberry wine, but the title of her album was, did I really shave my legs for this? And that was my, (laughs) that was my reaction when I read it
2: is I really (laughs) been waiting around for two weeks for this. Uh, well, you know, out in California, nobody does that except the men. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <It> was, <laughs> that's a great title. I have to go out and buy yeah, that. Yeah, it album. was. It was a,
1: a great <laughs> album. I, I mean, it looked like a, a Rorschach ink blot, at least mm-hmm. on on my on my computer. But I did. So we'll kind of go with a mix of what we already knew and what we learned. Mm-hmm. So if folks are not following this story. You know, by the hour, or they don't have your background, what are the crimes that are kind of at issue mm-hmm. upon which probable cause was based? So, one,
2: I just want to dispel one, uh, I think, misconception that's out there because of the media on both sides. Everyone's talking about classified information, this classified information, that the criminal laws uh, at issue here are not about classified information. So, uh, instead, they are about, did President Trump, or it doesn't it just have to be him, or people who worked for him uh, improperly take away uh, papers uh, belonging to the government? Uh, and that in itself is a federal crime. And then the second crime is, did, they, did President Trump or his associates mishandle what's called national defense information, which is a broader category than classified information? And then the third crime related really to the first two is, was there any kind of destruction, hiding, uh, you know, obstruction involved with these documents? So uh, actually classified information isn't really at issue here, right? Like Trump could have taken documents that aren't classified and still violate the statute. He could still have some classified information that he's allowed to have, and that wouldn't violate the statute. So actually, the the media is making it seem like this is just about classified information, but it's it's actually not. Um, and, and you're and you're right, uh, Congressman, the key for getting a search warrant is not that Trump's guilty. It's just that there's probable cause to think that a crime that there's evidence of a crime there in Mar-a-Lago.
1: Now. I think that I saw the word obstruction uh, among the very few sentences that were not redacted. Did you, did I dream that, or did you see that also? Did it catch your attention, that word, or that, that being part of the basis of
2: the PC? Yeah. I, I actually don't think obstruction is actually in play here. The statutes that are cited are not, uh, there's no obstruction of justice is not one of them. And then the other thing is, uh, unfortunately we know a lot more about this from the leaks from the justice department i assume or the white house than we did from this redacted document but the redacted document confirms in part that this is the latest step in a long process of negotiation between trump and the biden people and trump has been providing a lot of documents you know voluntarily that doesn't really sound like obstruction of justice <laughs> when, you know, when the person you just keep asking for documents and they give them to you, you just don't think he's giving you all of them, but you ask him again, he gives you more. That's not the way people who are obstructing justice act. I, I, I have a hard time thinking this is an obstruction case.
1: All right. That leads perfectly into the next question I wanted to ask, which is for people that don't follow this and, but they want to know uh, and, and they, and to your point, They don't want the sensationalism on this cable channel or that cable channel. What is the chronology as you best understand it? All right. So the president leaves the day that the baton is passed. What is your understanding of the chronology at least relied upon by the department?
2: So and when you hear the chronology, this is why I think the whole thing is kind of blown out of proportion by the Justice Department, unfortunately, our former, where you and I used to work, uh, is, okay, so the end of the Trump presidency is chaotic. Right? You you see the pictures of these boxes piled up outside the White House, waiting for moving trucks. Uh, you know, Trump doesn't believe he's lost the election. I mean, the, you know, things at the end are, uh, okay, a lot of people have quit. You know, So a lot of things are chaotic. Uh, At the end, it sounds like a whole bunch of boxes are put together and sent down to Mar-a-Lago. According to press reports and letters between the Trump uh, people and the Biden people, these boxes are filled with stuff. Trump, Trump's like this old guy who's just throwing stuff. Every time he comes across something's interesting, throws it into a box, right? Like I, I have relatives who do stuff like that all. <laughs> I have colleagues at the law school, old guys who just like throw things into giant boxes. So it looks sounds like Trump's got boxes and boxes of things that are just filled with like his own handwritten notes and photographs and mementos. And apparently, unfortunately, some are classified documents, but he's just throwing them all into these boxes. At the crazy end of the, of the time in office, it gets sent down to Mar-a-Lago. So there's something called the Presidential Records Act, which says that all the papers that presidents generate belong to the people of the United States. They get put into archives, eventually into presidential libraries where you and I and anybody can go see them and read them. Uh, and so the archivist believed uh, towards the end of 2021, that uh, Trump had taken not just things he was allowed to take, but took very important documents, too. They keep citing, for example, uh, there were notes, letters, handwritten letters that went between Trump and the president of North Korea back and forth. And that didn't seem to be in the possession of the archives. Another thing they keep mentioning is it's kind of like, what's that movie with Nicolas Cage about the president and all the hidden stuff in the presidency? This America's treasure or treasure? Anyway, so presidents have actually written letters to their successors, handwritten letters to their successors, telling them, you know, where the, I don't know where where we've hit in the Ark of the Covenant or whatever, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? So um, that wasn't in the papers. So the archivist said, hey, there's a lot of documents, you know, not a lot, but there seem to be documents missing. Could you turn them over? That started this process of negotiations. Between Trump and his people and the archives, Trump turned over hundreds and hundreds of documents when he got that letter, and some of them were classified apparently, dozens and dozens of classified documents in there. That got the archivist really worried. So, you know, Trump's people felt like they had basically answered and turned everything over. The archivist didn't think so. So, this is a, the first key step. The archivist, I think, incredibly, went to the Justice Department about it. I think in the past, you know, I've studied a lot of presidents. I've used a lot of these libraries. I've actually looked at a lot of presidential documents. You know, they're very intimate. I think usually handle this with an, you know, consensus. You know, the president and the archivist they reach uh, arrangements and they eventually get the documents. Instead, this the archivist ratcheted it up. You know, went, you know, to the prosecutors <laughs> and said. I want you guys to get these documents back. We And he went, and the archivist also went to Congress and said, we think President Trump's withholding things. And so then the Justice Department went to the, a grand jury, which is, as you know, for uh, the investigation of potential crimes and got a subpoena to force the Trump people to hand over documents. So that's, not, that's the second ratcheting up. The first escalation is the archivist going to justice. The second escalation is justice going to a grand jury, a grand jury to get documents back. So they send a subpoena to the Trump people. The Trump people produce more documents. In fact, the assistant attorney general, uh, not this, isn't the, the te- I think he's actually civil servant, but the top guy who deals with counterterrorism, counter at DOJ goes down in person to Mar a Lago, meets Trump. At this, the, In this basement room where these documents are being held, justice people go through the documents with Trump lawyers and they pull out even more documents. Apparently, Trump says, eh, if you need anything more, we want to cooperate. Let me know. This is uh, a few months ago that this happened. Then all of a sudden, as you know, just a few weeks ago, then you have this surprise search pursuant to a search warrant based on an affidavit that's under seal, which means it's kept uh, confidential. The public doesn't know about it. Trump doesn't know about it. And then these 40 FBI agents just show up at Mar-a-Lago and conduct a search and take away you know, a few boxes of documents. We don't know what's in them, but there's a claim you can tell from the inventory that they're classified information in there. But here's the other, another escalation, I think, by the Justice Department is that they didn't just ask to say, can we come in and get these classified documents? They didn't really seem to allege that Trump was deliberately hiding them, but they also asked to take away any documents from Trump's time in the presidency. That's much broader than these statutes we're talking about, these criminal laws. So as soon as I saw that, my antenna went up because that sounds to me like, is that actually constitutional? Um, What's the legal basis? But also, are they really just looking for classified information or are they looking for other things like January 6th related material. I think that's the thing to worry about here.
1: I've talked. Sorry, if I
2: want, sorry for going on so long.
1: No, I mean, I, I think people, there. there's a hunger, at least on my behalf, there's a desire. People can reach whatever conclusions they want to reach. That's up to them. But you have to know the facts and the chronology helps people understand the facts. Like I, 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 I read an op-ed maybe within the past week by, by two lawyers, they may have even been like solicitor generals. And, you know, those guys and gals are pretty bright too. The argument was being made that Trump can keep his records. I don't know whether you read that in the Wall Street Journal or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I that if I were on the jury, did it persuade me? It did not. But mm-hmm. I mean, there, I guess there's an argument they were making the argument that a former president can keep all of that stuff while he or she is working on their memoirs. Is that, was that the
2: argument? Yeah. I, I read that piece. Those two guys are friends of mine, but I I disagree with their analysis and uh, this is not a new question. Uh, and one way to think about Trump and all his legal problems is that it's like Richard Nixon squared. So everything Trump's you know dealing with is something Nixon had dealt with before, but Trump is just like, accelerated everything so actually this came up for the first time under president nixon so before president nixon all presidents owned their papers that was their personal property so if you go to like um fdr's presidential library or eisenhower's presidential library uh, there you know you can look at their personal papers and do research but it's because they chose to make them public they set up those libraries so that people could, you know, historians primarily could research and learn more about their presidencies. I actually highly encourage anybody who's listening to take the chance to go in, anybody can go in and see them, it really, it's great. I mean, these places are wonderful places. They're really great things about America. I mean, you don't see those in the Soviet Union or or in China, right, where you can go and say, I wanna see President Eisenhower's daily schedule for this day, you can go in and they'll produce it for you. So until Nixon, of course, because of Watergate and all the things Nixon did, Congress passed a lot of laws to restrict the rights of the presidency. And one thing they did was they said, from now on, all presidential papers belong to the United States government. Now, this is I got to love Nixon. He's such a nut. So what Nixon does, he goes, he sues the United States and he says, you owe me money. He doesn't say you can't take my papers, but he says, that's a taking of my personal property, pay me just compensation. <laughs> you know, it's a lawyer, got to be like, I admire the chutzpah on that guy, right? So he was suing for millions of dollars, right? He says, I'm not going to fight you on taking the papers, but pay me for them. <laughs> and so it's interesting, the court, so there is a Supreme Court case about presidential papers. And it says, yes, in fact, the papers belong to the United States. They don't belong to the president. They don't belong to the person who happens to be the president. They belong to the office. Right? The I don't know uh, friends out there remember this is a big issue in President Clinton's day <laughs> about what he's doing as a private person, what he's doing as president of the United States and that really came through in this case Nixon versus is called Nixon versus uh GSA and the court the court said the papers belong to the United States government. Uh, The president just can't take them with him at the end of his presidency unless Congress allows it. So I don't think President Trump uh, had the right to take the original papers with him. Now, it's always interesting. Why didn't he just copy them and take photos of them like anybody else? But he can't keep the papers. He has to he has to keep them with the government. So I think he's I think people who are reading President Trump to have uh, a legal right to these papers, they, I think, are going way too far. I think the Supreme courts have kind of already rejected that argument.
1: We're going to pause right there. More of my interview with Professor John Yu
0: is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. (coughs) Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: All right. The old prosecutor in me wants to ask a couple of questions. If the president did not box up his stuff, if that task was delegated, is that any type of defense? Is this some kind of strict liability? I mean, I I don't know no. the president that well. I really can't see him boxing up his own stuff. But
2: yeah. does it matter who did it? No, I I think that's a really good question. I, I think there I think there's a lot of reasons why the Justice Department is not really doing this to prosecute President Trump, because how would they show whether President Trump had any contact with the materials? He just throat it's clear the government is even acknowledging. Agnostic- He's just throwing stuff into boxes saying, oh, this is mine. I got this love letter, right? He called it a love letter from Kim, Kim Jong-un and North Korea. And I've got photos of me and Macron and France, right? He's throwing these all in the boxes. He's not the most careful guy when it comes to classified information. We know that already. How do we know that he ever saw those again, right? He tossed them in the, right? and." He's not I'm sure he's not sitting down there rummaging through the basement, to mar lago looking at all the papers, making sure they're filed correctly. It just sounds like a big pile of paper and clippings. It sounds like a chaotic mess. That would all, I think, help show that President Trump probably didn't have any intention to violate the law. Now, he's fighting with the Justice Department and the FBI all the time, like you can tell from the chronology and from the documents we can see you know, the FBI asks for things. Trump gives him some stuff, but he's also fighting with them all the time. I got to say, you know, you and I, you, we both worked at justice. I have a lot of respect for the place. I do not blame President Trump for being suspicious of the FBI after the Russia, you know, the Russia hoax and the, you know, all the shenanigans that went on, uh, you know, with the Mueller investigation and everything. So I don't blame him for being suspicious of the FBI, and not being fully, right? Fully cooperative with them, like other people might be, but I I have a hard time thinking that he had the intent to like steal national defense information or to hide documents that he wasn't supposed to have. Which is,
1: you know, that sends me back uh, to Jim Comey's press conference. Mm-hmm where I am sitting there thinking, gosh, he, he's actually, I'm not sure what he's doing having the press conference because that's a decision prosecutors make, but okay, I'll yeah. watch it anyway. And he lays out a pretty compelling case for charging secretary Clinton, uh, which is something I've, I've never said whether she should have been charged or not. Cause I don't, I don't know what he knows. I know it's not his job to make the call, but he has the press right. conference. So at least for, I don't want to speak for John Ratcliffe, but he's a former U.S. attorney. There are other Mm -hmm. former federal prosecutors that were in Congress. It was a very different way that they interacted with Secretary Clinton. It was a very different way.
2: Oh, I think that's completely right. I think um, President Trump, uh, I'm sure he wasn't thinking about the legalities of it, but he just felt the fundamental unfairness of him getting a surprise search warrant Whereas uh, Hillary Clinton, who, right, if she violated the law, it would be very similar. It would be the same provisions, right? Mishandling national defense information, holding on to government documents you're not supposed to have after you're out of office. right? And so so how did it work with Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton's lawyers turned over the documents, turned over emails and so on. It, it may, just a step back, people may not remember what happened was that uh, Hillary Clinton, while she was secretary of state, set up her own computer network that was handling her emails while she was secretary of state. So huge amounts of classified information are passing through her network. Cause a lot of, basically I would think most of the secretary of state's emails and texts and everything are classified because they involve foreign policy and, uh, and intelligence that we have on other countries. And so when it came time to get that back, first of all, she never told anybody she did this when it's discovered. The government wants those. She doesn't hand them all over. In fact, uh, compared to the way President Trump did, she had her lawyers go through the emails and destroy most of them, so no one ever got to see them. And then only handed over the ones she thought were still, you know, classified or still government property. So you, yeah, I think it's a. I think President Trump raised a good point. Why wasn't he given that kind of? you know, courtesy and treatment, you know, rather than busting in with a search warrant. I can't imagine the FBI launching, right, a surprise raid on Hillary Clinton's offices and rummaging around through all her stuff to pick up every piece of government paper they can find. But that's, I think.
1: I'll (laughs) tell you what they did, Professor. When they realized that people knew that she had the email arrangement with herself, uh, (laughs) they, a, a a State Department official wrote, but not just Secretary Clinton, also wrote Dr. Rice and I believe Madeleine Albright. So mm-hmm. to kind of provide cover that we're not just writing one, we're, we're going to ask everybody, hey, if you kept anything that should be returned. I mean, this, this wasn't a search warrant. It wasn't even a letter from the Department of Justice or the Bureau. It was the State Department saying, hey, can you can you bring it back? But, but I want to play a devil's advocate because I like doing it and everybody needs a lawyer. So I'm going to play a devil's advocate. <laughs> so if I'm, if I'm at DOJ, I say, okay, whether you knew it or not, Mr. President, there was classified information in what you took or what was taken, even if you didn't throw it together, it's there. We need it back. We asked for it back. We visited you. We worked with your attorneys And yet it still wasn't provided. So what choice did we have? We tried a subpoena. Mm. That didn't work. What choice Mm. did we have? We either leave it there or we go get it.
2: So what I would say is you've got several occasions, at least one occasion where justice went and the lawyers searched for the documents themselves and then signed something saying, we think we've turned over all the classified documents. So if you're the FBI and DOJ, do you think that means President Trump has a secret safe in that room where he's saying, no, hide the stuff here and don't give it to them? Or is it more likely the case that they just didn't find everything because it's all scattered throughout? It's human mistake. It's not intentional. So if you don't think it's intentional, but it's actually just mistakes, errors, bad record keeping, then you just ask again, or you say, can we come back and conduct a search ourselves And you can be there. We don't have to get a search warrant. We don't have to intrude into your constitutional rights. Why don't you just consent to it? You just heard Trump say in person to us, if you need anything, let us know. We'll be cooperating. That's what I find odd is that they didn't go back and request, let's go back and look at the papers again. It's just, uh, uh, especially when it's a former president and the alternative is are we going to really take the step of getting a search warrant for the first time in American history of a former president? And are we gonna to have to say, for the first time in American history, we think this president, former president is committing a federal crime. I think that's, a, that's like to me a major step in terms of law and politics and the history of our country. If you're gonna make that kind of claim, you don't want it to be over, right? Just disputes over whether people search the right files properly. All right, I
1: want to ask you about a couple more things that vex me, but they probably don't vex you. If this is about the return of classified information and or other documents that are government property, let's just assume that that's what it's about. Okay, now you have it. So why is it the department's position, at least in front of the magistrate judge, that this investigation is in its early stages, its infancy? If it were just about the return of documents, it'd be over, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah. I I agree. If it's really just about the documents, I don't even see why the affidavit is redacted the way it is. I don't see why we aren't seeing the documents themselves. If I, if you really, if it's really that we just want those documents, Trump didn't turn them over either intentionally or unintentionally, then, and, and people have a lot of doubt about the FBI and DOJ now. Uh, I wish they didn't, but they do. And sometimes they have good reason to what should justice do? I would say declassify all those documents they found and show the American people, this is why, you know, you, of course you can redact them to protect sensitive things, but you could say, yeah, we thought we should have this love letter from Kim Jong-un or we thought, you know, here's a file on Macron and we'll accept. But we think that these were so important that we actually had to go in there and get them. I think you're right. That's why when I hear about the way justice is conducting itself, I think they're up to the old uh, "How do you get Al Capone?" Right? You got Al Capone not for racketeering and murder first. You got him for tax evasion. Right. So, right to me, this just—I don't know—it felt like justice going in saying, "Yeah, we're looking for these documents. Oh, here's this binder that says John Eastman's plan to overturn the 2020 Mm -hmm. election too. It just happened to be there. Look what we found in plain view. Right? That's—I mean—that's a you know, a common prosecutorial. You I, know, uh, <laughs> I will admit nothing.
1: I admit nothing about using the plain view doctrine to go get whatever we want.
2: Because, right, as you said, if, um, if this is really about getting the documents, then what investigatory, right, plans and theories do you need to right. keep under wraps? Because you went into the room, you got all the documents, things over, If you want to charge him with a crime, you can charge him with the crime. But there's no new there's no more investigation that needs to be done because you found the documents in his, you know, in his house. I mean, it seemed like the ninth inning to me and not the first inning. Mm -hmm. So I was
1: surprised Mm -hmm. the other thing that vexed me and I did read a little bit more of this in the affidavit. There was a lot of discussion, it seemed like, about the room where the documents were stored. And I almost read into it. Gosh, if you'd had a better lock, or you'd had security, we wouldn't be bothering you right now. And mm-hmm. and that to me kind of undercuts. We wouldn't have minded if you kept the documents if if the if it were in a skiff or yeah, something yeah. other than. I mean, did did you read any of that in the affidavit? That,
2: well, they're not really in the affidavit, but they've been in some of the leaked documents. So the weird thing is, there's so few weird things. So one is. Uh, after the Justice Department visited and you know, worked with the lawyers to search the documents, they said, we want you to put better security on this door.
1: Right.
2: And so Trump did it, right? They, they actually put better locks on the door uh, at the request of the Justice Department. Doesn't sound like that's an intent to violate the law. Right. right. If you're, right if the, um, the second thing is, and this is um, a product of Biden, I think President Biden's vindictiveness towards Trump, is that uh, once Trump leaves office, he could still have a secure facility in Mar-a-Lago. He did already as president, and it was in a way kind of taken out of service. He easily could have been given the right to continue that, right, having that secure facility, leaving the documents in there. President Biden denied him that privilege, which I would imagine most presidents would extend as a courtesy to their predecessors. Um, because, right, as you were saying, what if you're a president and you want to write your memoirs? You need to have access to these uh, documents. Some of them are classified. You know, is do you think that George Bush said, no, Bill Clinton's not allowed to have any classified documents anymore? I'm sure there have been arrangements in the past to work it out. But Biden said, nope, Bill, President Trump is no longer allowed to handle classified information after the presidency. Uh, and that, in a way, as you suggest, that causes the problem.
1: I had a crazy thought that entered my mind. It's not the only one of the day, and it probably it's, <laughs> it, it just,
2: and it's not the last one either. <laughs> no, it's probably not.
1: But all right. So I'm not good with names, but there was uh, there was somebody alleged to have been high up in Al Qaeda that was recently taken out by a drone in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, Doctor Zawahiri. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. All right. The media reports that two former presidents were given a heads up. And I immediately think, okay, well, they're former presidents. I get why you would let, you know, President Obama and President Bush know, but that would be highly classified. That that's that that's like an an about to take place event. So I don't know whether presidents still have security clearance or whether President Biden has the authority to just say, you know what, I'm going to call these two. I don't know whether he called Trump or not. Nobody knows. There's no, been no media
2: report on it. I will bet that president Trump and Biden have not spoken since the third debate. I, I would not, I would not bet against you on that,
1: but it, it did have me wondering. I mean, I, I do on the one hand want everybody treated the same by the blind mm. lady, but the reality is former presidents do talk about things. And So I'm sitting there wondering if you can call President Bush and President Obama and say we're about to take out a terrorist with a drone, with a CIA drone. You really mean to tell me the most recent former president can't have a letter from Kim Jong-un without being prosecuted?
2: Yeah, this is I think this is why I do trace it to this original vindictiveness by President Biden to not allow Trump any access to classified information because uh, and, and maybe a lot of people also don't realize this is that uh, classification and who's allowed to see it ultimately flows directly from the president himself. Congress does not create the classification system. And, and this also went to the Supreme Court because there was a case, actually, if you, it, where uh, someone lost their security clearance and they sued for it back. And the Supreme Court said, who's who gets to have class I of information? Uh, what's even classified all flows from the president and his constitutional authority as commander in chief and his article to authority to have the executive power. So the sitting president, in this case, Biden, yeah, sitting president can say all those past presidents, they still have the right to see classified information. And I'm, go- and I'm, I'm going to give it to them by calling them up and saying, we're about to you know, kill Dr. Zawahiri, the leader of Al Qaeda by drone. Uh, and that, that goes to you know these other claims that President Trump is also saying, well, I declassified all the papers I took down to Mar-a-Lago. I'd a, when he says, I have a standing order, uh, this is one of the claims, I have a standing order. Anytime I took something down to Mar-a-Lago, put in that basement, I just automatically declassified it. Constitutionally, that is correct. That's up to the president. The president can declassify anything. Like if the president were to get up in front of a television camera and said, I'm going to read the nuclear you know the nuclear weapons codes they are declassified by him by his actions and so i think you're I think you're right that it is single trump has been singled out by biden for this kind of disfavored trip now he's doing you know he would say i think that he believes as he has said i think several times trump is a threat of threat to democracy right, right? if you if you really believe if biden really believes what he says then you would think he wouldn't let trump have get anywhere near classified information because he thinks Trump is a threat to democracy.
1: Well, you know what? That's the next question I was going to ask you. So I would I would be a great student. In your class, but other than the fact I couldn't get into your law school,
2: get into your class. <laughs> you know, you know, we, we've got blind grading here too, so your sucking up's not going to work. Well, <laughs> do you do you teach any
1: pass fail classes? <laughs> because I, I don't want a letter grade. I want pass fail. There are arguments made. And you ju- you just touched upon it that the the, the sitting president has the uh, the. Power, the authority, the ability to declassify information. Do you? I mean, what would you need to know to be able to ascertain whether or not there was th- this? Well, I declassified all of that. I mean, that's a fact question and a legal question. What would you need yeah. to know whether to, whether that would carry weight with you?
2: This is a, is a great uh, separation of powers conflict between Congress and the President. So some people think. Well, there has to be a record or you can't just think it to yourself and not tell anybody. But if Congress were to say you have to keep a record, I would say if classification really comes from the president, then it's up to the president to decide how it works. Congress, neither Congress nor the courts can impose a restriction on the president's power. So and this has never been decided or even made it to the Supreme Court. But this would be a really interesting question. Could President Trump just say orally to Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, and just say, I'm declassifying all these boxes, right? Does President Trump actually have to write down each document in each box? I don't think so. Um, At the same time, I do think that, uh, you know, as president, to actually exercise the power, he has to say or do something. He can't just mentally think it.
1: You can't deem it. You can't just deem it declassified.
2: Right, right, right. To himself.
1: All right. I got two more questions for you and then I will let you go hit range balls. Okay. I'm going to change gears a little bit. There there are only two things at my age, professor, that keep me up at night. Uh, One it is whether or not Dallas is going to commit the same number of pre-snap penalties that they commit every other year. That really does. Can I
2: now as an Eagles fan, I can tell you right now it's going to be more than ever before. You're probably right.
1: That's one that keeps me up. The other thing that I stay awake, just waiting on the New York times editorial board to let me know who should be indicted and who should not be indicted, because I can't think of a better grand jury than a bunch of lefties who are on the New York Times editorial board, but they opined, they opined that. Uh, incidentally, I cannot think of the last Republican president. It may have been Eisenhower that was endorsed by the New York Times editorial board, but nonetheless, they think the president Trump should be indicted for January sixth, and there are probably a lot of other people that think that also. What I think folks are struggling. To get their head around what statutes I'm not asking you whether or not you think that's you know has any validity or yeah, not but the yeah, statutes yeah. is it just a like a 374 general conspiracy to defraud the u.s or is there some
2: other statute at play so i i've actually found the this claim that it's fraud on the united states is really weak because you know as you know this is about usually about cheating the United States out of money, or like committing Medicare, Medicaid fraud, or you know, being a defense contractor, inflating your bills, or something, uh, you know, defrauding the United States in terms of fighting the electoral count. That's that's a reach. It's never been held to mean that. So that would be interesting uh, to see if prosecutors could make that one. But I think if you were to say. Uh, that the facts showed that President Trump was ordering people around to attack the Capitol and where to go. So like, take the worst possible facts for President Trump. Uh, I think the claim has to be that they, he was trying to uh, obstruct Congress in the performance of its constitutional duties. That is, that is a crime. And then, of course, you could say obstruction of justice because of all the stuff he's doing to fight in the investigation into this. But I think I think the other part of the January 6th investigation, I can't see this being crime, which is uh, but which most of the attention is being paid is President Trump calling election officials in Georgia and Arizona saying, find me 11000 votes or Trump putting telling President Vice President Pence, I don't want you to count the electoral votes from these states or even saying, oh, you rooted Giuliani, call these guys and have alternate electors appointed in at Georgia and Arizona. To me, that's Trump pushing way too far. But I still think in a non-criminal way, you know, his interpretation of the Constitution and of the election laws and his belief that he was defrauded. I don't think that's criminal. Uh, It might be bad judgment, um, but he didn't. So, for example, take Vice President Pence. He didn't have like the military come in and arrest him. He made his case to Pence and Pence said no. That's not coercion in my book and nothing happened to Pence because of it right Pence Pence was you know Pence did his constitutional duty in my view, but uh, that also means to me Trump didn't do anything criminal trying to persuade him otherwise. So to me the only thing really you get you could really build a case on would be if Trump were really linked to the people who attacked the Capitol and that would be like right, not just the criminal statutes about not trespassing on Capitol grounds, but it would have to be obstruction of Congress performing its constitutional duty, like counting the electoral votes. All
1: right. Well, that helps because silly me. And I did it even when I was in the House. And when people wanted like Democrats arrested or indicted, my mind immediately goes to, "Okay, well, what's the code section? Because I got to go find the elements. I mean, there's not like an indictment for like not liking someone. I don't think I never found it. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast.
2: Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family, no matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details.
1: I'm gonna let you go with this one question: What should we? the untrained legal eye, people that did not work for OLC, just people that want to stay informed, what should we be looking for in the weeks or months to come? What are you looking for to tell you whether this thing's in the ninth inning or the first inning, other than an indictment?
2: Okay, so to take your baseball analogy, I think we're in the ninth inning of the first game of a doubleheader.
1: OK. All
2: right. Fair <laughs> but this, actually, maybe the other way to think of I, I maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think what's really going on here is like it's like the Cold War, you know, and there was the United States and there was a the Soviet Union and we never wanted to have war directly. So we had these proxy battles, right? Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, where we both fund. You know, we had a smaller contained war. I think that's what this is, is. This is not really about the documents. You would not have, as you're implying, Congressman, you wouldn't have gone to the mats the way they have just to get a few documents back. Instead, I think this is both sides flexing their muscles over what they know is coming as the second game in the doubleheader, which is the January 6th investigation. I think this is all about January 6th. If you're justice, you, you, you used to do this, right? If you're just, I, I used to do this too. If you're justice and FBI and you want to get a conspiracy, And you deal with the first person in the conspiracy, right? You're saying, don't screw around with us, right? We're going to do all the search warrants we need to do. You know, we're not cutting anybody any, right? You're going to be tough in the beginning because you've got a lot more battles to come. And I think if you're Trump and his lawyers, you know, we're going to fight like hell on this little thing now just to show you that when you come after us for January 6th, we're not sparing, we're not sparing any resources to fight you. So this is just, I think, a preview of what they know is you know, the main attraction coming, which is, you know, as your last question's asked, what's DOJ and the FBI gonna do when they're looking for January 6th evidence at Mar-a-Lago and, and in New York City and every other place Trump is and all his electronic devices and phone calls. Uh, and what is Trump gonna to do to fight back you know, against the January 6th investigation? They're just, they're, it's all a show of flexing of muscles in this little area. To get ready to send messages to each other about what they're willing to do for the main fight that's coming.
1: That's helpful. I have this quote going through my mind. Sometimes I repeat it myself. Democracy is hard. Um, I, I, I'm sure Churchill's right. It's it, it's better than everything else. But uh, but this is a rough this is a rough patch. I mean, I, I think about hmm. these institutions that we have to have. It's okay if we don't like them, but it's not okay if we don't respect them. And and I do think, and this is coming from two old DOJ guys that I I, I love the image of a blindfolded woman holding a sword and a set of scales. I love that image, but this is a tough time, and uh, the the there's a reason I think. And I'm not talking about you know, folks that dress up like John Adams. I'm talking about people that used to work for the Department of Justice. There's a reason that they also believe there's been a politicization within the department and the bureau. And it's almost like the department and bureau are oblivious to why people might think that.
2: Hmm. Well, I, 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 hate to say it. I blame uh, the person you mentioned earlier. I blame Jim Comey. I think uh, he, uh, and people around him decided before he even showed up that president Trump was a threat to the national security. And I, 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 like, I worked on counterterrorism and counterintelligence issue, you know, matters when I was in the Justice Department. I knew the vast powers the government has when it's worried about spies and espionage and terrorists. I never thought though that our colleagues would turn those powers internally against perceived threats domestically, like a person running for president and elected right. to the presidency. That's the red line I think our friends crossed. Um, those powers, when they're used against our enemies, are awesome and enormous and effective. But they were never supposed to be turned internally. That's this. But the, I think that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the consequences of that fatal step. I think that Jim Comey and his aides took. And then once that happens, and this is why our you know people, our predecessors at Justice never wanted to cross that line is everything will become inherently political once that happens. And and they were right.
1: Professor John, Yu, I cannot thank you enough. I, I got to have you back on because you, you, you follow the stuff. You're smart. You're analytical. So, um, I'm gonna have you back on whenever I accumulate a lot more questions that I don't know the answer to, which includes a lot of con law. So, I may have you on to explain the different tiers of scrutiny at some point. (laughs) Oh, No, actually, I won't (laughs) do that that to the listener.
2: That one I'm going to have to charge, charge money for. that
1: one to the listener. No, I cannot afford your hourly rate. Not only knows what your hourly rate is, but I know I can't afford it. I cannot well, we
2: we got to come talk about student loans sometime. That's, that's an OLC question. Uh, as soon as
1: I finish paying off my kids' student loans, I would love to talk to you, but my therapist has told me not to talk about it right now. It's just too sensitive for me. I can't thank you enough, and I look forward to the next time. I hope you have a great weekend.
2: Yeah, you too. It's great to be with you.
1: All right. You take care. Thank you for spending another Tuesday with Trey. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network.